Hello, and thanks for joining us today. The topic of the day is harmful algal blooms. They're called HABs for short, H-A-B. Heard of them? Well, if you live in a coastal area or near the Great Lakes, chances are you have. You may know them better by the name Red Tide. We've got three stories today about harmful algal blooms, so stay tuned. It's November 12, 2009, and we're going to be talking about all things algae today. And this is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. So let's start off today by talking about where the term red tide comes from. Well, it's from one of the best-known HABs in the nation that crops up nearly every summer along Florida's Gulf Coast. And this bloom, like many HABs, is caused by tiny plants in the ocean, microscopic algae, that grow out of control. And as they do this, as they bloom, they produce powerful toxins that kill fish and make shellfish dangerous to eat. And the toxins can also make the surrounding air hazardous to breathe. And as the name red tide suggests, the bloom of algae that turns up in Florida often turns the water a deep red color. But scientists prefer the term harmful algal bloom, or HAB, because the toxic blooms of algae that occur in waters around the world come in many, many forms. Not all of them are red. They come in many colors. Some have no color at all. And some algal blooms are harmful even though they don't produce toxins. And that's because the algae grow in such vast quantities that when they die, they suck all of the oxygen out of the water as they decompose. So there are many varieties of harmful algal blooms. They come in many shapes and sizes, and they are universally a big problem. They threaten marine ecosystems, they're bad for human health, and they cost the economy millions of dollars every year because of fishery closures and because of recreation and tourism losses when beaches are closed or, or different water areas are closed off to people. Now, these blooms happen in almost every U.S. coastal state and in the Great Lakes, and they seem to be on the rise. But why do these harmful blooms of algae occur? Well, a new study sheds light on this. It was carried out by NOAA and NOAA-funded university scientists, and it takes a close look at the cooperative interactions between bacteria and marine microalgae. And this interaction, it turns out, promotes the growth of harmful algal blooms. So that the algae that forms harmful algal blooms and some types of bacteria are linked is not news. Scientists have known this for a long time. The mystery is why. Exactly why do these toxic blooms form? And what role does the bacteria play in this cycle? Well, that's where the new study comes in. The researchers found that certain species of bacteria form a mutually beneficial relationship with the algae, and that promotes the growth of each. The bacteria release a chemical, which helps the algae absorb iron. And iron is a critical nutrient for photosynthesis, so that helps the algae grow. And as the algae grow, in turn, they release organic compounds that support the growth of the bacteria. So this new research could have huge implications. Better understanding this interaction can help researchers create better models of how blooms form, and it could lead to better forecasting. In other words, helping us to predict when and where blooms are likely to form. Added to this, the research could point the way to new strategies to prevent these harmful outbreaks in the first place. If scientists can figure out a way to inhibit the bacteria from growing, then that could lead to ways to better control the problem. And that's something that would help coastal communities around the world. Now here's something surprising. The study also offers a new insight for climate change models. Because it turns out that a gas produced by the bloom-forming algae, it's called dimethyl sulfide, plays a key role 
in the process of cloud formation and the ability of clouds to reflect sunlight back into space. But what does this have to do with climate change? Well, how much light is reflected off of the clouds back into space influences solar heating of the Earth, and that affects global climate. So there's lots of good stuff in this study. It appears, again, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it was funded by NOAA's National Centers for Coastal and Ocean Sciences, Center for Coastal Fisheries and Habitat Research, and that's located in Beaufort, North Carolina. Well, as I alluded to a few moments ago, forecasting is a big deal for HABs. Forecasts tell us something about the current and future location of blooms, and they can tell us something about the intensity of blooms for a given area. Now, while we have some of these forecasts available for coastal regions of the U.S., we haven't had any for the Great Lakes. And let's face it, when most people think of red tides, they think of coastal states, but the Great Lakes are also facing big problems with toxic algal blooms. Until now, there hasn't been a system in place to help predict HABs in this region, but now there is, with the kickoff of a new experimental HAB forecast system in Lake Erie. And one type of harmful bloom that's a particular problem in the Great Lakes is caused by a blue-green algae called microcystis. Microcystis blooms are increasing in frequency and duration in the Great Lakes. Why? Well, in part, it's because of the invasive zebra mussel, and this mussel filters Great Lakes water and it removes other algae competitors. And microcystis blooms can cause a toxin that causes skin rashes, liver damage, fish kills, and taste and odor problems in drinking water. So it's a real problem. Well, here's how the new forecasting system works. When a harmful bloom in Lake Erie is detected by the experimental system, scientists issue a forecast bulletin to nearby scientists and community managers. And this bulletin depicts the harmful algal bloom's current location and future movement and it categorizes its intensity on a weekly basis. With the new forecast, scientists now have a much better idea of when and where blooms are predicted to occur, and this critical information can then be shared with on-the-ground local managers along Lake Erie to help reduce human health threats. So the experimental forecast incorporates data from a number, a number of different places, from ocean observing systems, including commercial and government satellite imagery obtained by National Ocean Service, by coastal forecast modeling and field data from scientists from NOAA's Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory, and from reports received from resource managers in the field. So all of this information is put together and interpreted, and that helps figure out the current and future location and the intensity of microcystis blooms. The experimental forecast created for Lake Erie in the state of Ohio was based on a detection system created by the National Ocean Service for Florida's Gulf Coast in 2004. Now this system is going to serve as a model now for other areas of the U.S. impacted by HABs. It was jointly funded by NOAA's Oceans and Human Health Initiative and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's National Center for Environmental Health. Well, final story today, as promised, is also about harmful algal blooms. We're going to talk about a special group of people citizen scientists who volunteer their time to help NOAA find and track harmful algal blooms around the country. These volunteers make up a big part of NOAA's phytoplankton monitoring network. So this network was established as an outreach program for monitoring marine phytoplankton and harmful algal blooms. And the idea is to create stronger ties between the public and laboratory scientists. Why? Because this helps build a more informed public about the HAB problem. 
and it provides useful data to scientists about when and where HABs are occurring around the country. So the program has really taken off. The network began with three volunteer groups in Charleston, South Carolina. Today it's spread throughout the coastal U.S. There are more than 200 volunteers actively sampling over 140 sites in 17 states in the U.S. Virgin Islands. So the thing about harmful algal blooms is that they come in a wide variety of shapes and sizes. And the scientific names of the more than 50 types of diatoms and dinoflagellates tracked by NOAA's phytoplankton monitoring network, well, they're hard to pronounce. I'm not even going to try to pronounce some of these names. And they can be equally hard to identify in the wild. So as you can imagine, training volunteers can be a real challenge. No one knows this better than Steve Morton. He's a NOAA research oceanographer and the leader of the network system. While Morton and his colleagues host a variety of instructional tools on their website to help out the volunteers with their monitoring effort, wouldn't it be nice to have photos of these tiny creatures, pronunciations of their names, and other reference tools on a handheld device? Monitoring phytoplankton, after all, is something people do in the field, far from a computer, far from an internet connection. Well, that was the inspiration for one volunteer to develop an iPhone application. His name is Sean Gano, and he's a volunteer with the Armand Bayou Nature Center in Pasadena, Texas. Well, since he had experience with computer applications, he approached Steve Morton to see if they could collaborate to produce a mobile application that would help other volunteers out. Well, months later, the first ever phytoplankton identification app was launched for the iPhone. It's called Phyto, appropriately enough. The new application is now available to download for free for the iPhone or iPod Touch, and it's pretty amazing. It includes images from a NOAA gallery of common phytoplankton and recordings of a staff scientist's pronunciation of each species' name. The application also contains a flashcard game to improve volunteers' identification skills. And Steve Morton said they're now going to work on producing other versions of the iPhone application to address other regions covered by the monitoring network. Well, if you want to learn more about harmful algal blooms and ongoing NOAA research to fight this problem, here's a good place to start. The National Ocean Service Facts page at oceanservice.noaa.gov facts. And when you're there, check out the What is a Red Tide fact. Here you'll find links to a number of resources from the National Center for Coastal Ocean Science. And when you're visiting oceanservice.noaa.gov, be sure to take a look at the October archives for our podcast for an excellent in-depth interview about harmful algal blooms, and that's on Diving Deeper, the NOS audio podcast featuring discussions with NOS experts on a variety of ocean topics. And that's all for this week's episode. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, send us an email. We're at nos.info at noaa.gov. Now let's bring in the ocean. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.